0: Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. I was more nervous for what JoJo would say. <laughs> Listen, when we have lunch together, we're we're just open and honest with each other. So he knows things about me that I really don't want said from this pulpit right here, and, and he makes me a little nervous sometimes. So, thank you for that, JoJo. Um, tell you what, what I do need to do though is just a similar thing. I need to I need to honor Pastor Brown and Miss Sherry because it is a joy and it is a privilege to be able to serve under them. And to be able to, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we get to see in them leadership, what it looks like to serve, what it looks like to lead. Now, my wife and Miss Sherry are kind of taking this a little far. If you see them today, they're almost dressed identical. So left and right, I don't know. But I don't, if I start wearing glasses and talk about turkey hunting all the time, you may need to check on me, okay? Because I may be taking it too far. <laughs> so anyways, just to say that, Joe and Ann's the same thing. Uh, I didn't know that me and JoJo would be as close as we are, I'll just be honest, with the age gap and, and just difference in personalities, <laughs> call it what it is, call it what it is, but uh, I tell you what, God, yeah, sorry about that, Jo, uh, God brought us to this church, and I heard a pastor one time say this, we weren't looking for a church a place to lead, we just, we just came, we felt that the Lord was leading us to this church, and God had plans of putting us in leadership. But what he said, this pastor said one time, he said, if you're looking for a church, and he was talking to preachers, he said, don't, don't, look, for, don't look for a church, look for a people. Okay? Because you, you can judge it by the building and the programs and all these things, but if your heart's not with the people, then you're not going to really serve. And, and God has knit our heart together to this fellowship. Joe and Ann, uh, Shane and Candice, Aaron and Chelsea do such a fantastic job. And then you guys, you're the reason that I do what I do. Right, you give me an opportunity to use the gifts that God has given me, and I thank you for that. So I bless you this morning. I pray that this word is an encouragement to you. Uh, It's something I've been thinking on. We've been in the, we come out of Easter talking about the resurrection of Jesus, and I like what Rev did. He said, You know what? We take one day out of the year and we talk about the resurrection. Well, it's every single day as a Christian. We live in the truth and the power of his resurrection every single day, not just on Easter Sunday, but every day. And so he preached last week on the resurrection again. And I want to continue that thought today. And so, what I want you to do is, I want you to find two passages of scripture if you've got your Bible. Obviously, if you've got the iPad or the phone, you can get there quickly. But just to kind of help you, the first passage I want you to find is Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, verses 29 through 38. And if you've got a a ribbon or a marker, just mark that one, because we'll get to it a little bit later. So mark chapter 8, verses 29 through 38. So put your ribbon there, mark that, and where we're going to start is going to be Philippians chapter 3. So if you'll get to Mark 8, put a mark there, flip to Philippians chapter 3, that's where we're going to start. And so when you find Philippians chapter 3, if you would... Stand as we uh, read the Word. I think that's a great thing to do, just to stand in honor of the Word. So Philippians chapter 3 is where we'll start. I know i got you flipping everywhere to flip to Philippians. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ." Yet indeed, I also count all things lost, and listen to this statement, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Come on somebody, that's powerful. Count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. If you're reading in the King James, that says dung. That shows you to the level that Paul says these past things that I had in comparison to knowing Christ, they are that worthless. That's a strong statement. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith, verse 10, I really want to draw your attention here, that I may know Him that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, verse 11, and will end, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. If you can put verse 10 back on the screen, this is where my message is primarily coming from. The title of my message is drawn from this. It's that I may know Him. That I may know him, and at the end he says what? Being conformed to his death. And so the title of the message this morning is that I may know him, conformed to the cross. We want to know Jesus. But there's something about the cross that connects us to knowing him and the power of his resurrection, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity. God, I am humbled every time that I get to stand in this pulpit and preach your word. These are your people, so I pray that you would lead me by your spirit, God, that I would give a word in season to him who is weary, that they would be strengthened and encouraged. God, you're going to call us to deep things today things that the flesh is not going to want, but the spirit within us is stronger, the spirit within us is greater, I pray right now for faith to arise, that we would hear your word, God, we would receive your word, and we would live according to it, in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I want to start by saying this, you know, when you preach, there's different kinds of preaching, styles of preaching. Uh, This is not primarily an evangelistic message. What I mean by that is it's not primarily geared towards somebody that is lost and in need of salvation. I always have that within my heart, and God very well may use this message to quicken somebody to life in Jesus Christ. But what I see this message as, because it's the way I see Paul writing this, is not for somebody that's lost and in need of salvation, but is somebody that is saved and already a disciple of Jesus and is desiring to grow as a disciple of Jesus. Listen, the, the gift of salvation is a free gift of grace. Right? It's, it's, you are dead in your sins and trespasses, but God has made you alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith. Not of your own doing, but it's the gift of God. Discipleship will cost you everything. Though you are saved by grace through faith, and though discipleship is carried out by grace, the call and cost of discipleship is your life. It is everything. Once you're born again, then you begin the journey of knowing Jesus and all that that entails. And so again, that's the the heart of my message is found in verse 10. Paul says in verse 10 that I may know him. Him being Jesus. One of the things we have to understand is that Jesus is the ultimate. He is the end. He is the goal. He is everything. And Paul's desire is to know Jesus not just to know about Jesus, not just to receive things from Jesus. I thank God that through faith in Jesus, we receive forgiveness of our sins. We receive healing. We receive uh, freedom from uh, addictions and bondage and fear and all of these things. But ultimately, as great as those things are, he is the prize. Paul says in Colossians, he's preeminent. He's above all things. He's over all things. What you have to guard yourself against is allowing Jesus to go from being cornerstone to stepping stone. You don't come to Jesus to get something else. The blessings that come through Jesus are great and wonderful, but you come to Jesus to get Jesus. I want to know him. That's the end. The means, Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I taught this a few weeks ago to the guys. And so some of you are going to hear some things that you've already heard, but this isn't just a a repurposed version of that. It may be revised and expanded, but when I taught this to the guys, and we talked about this, and it was right after Easter Sunday, and I told them, I said, listen, I don't really have the answers today. The Lord led me to this passage And I didn't have a lot of time to really press into it, and I knew there was something there that God wanted me to see. But when I taught the guys, I said, all I can really do for you tonight is primarily give you questions. I can't give you the answers, but I can give you questions. And if I can help you to ask the right questions and have the right desires, then I've learned as a teacher God will do the rest. If I can get you to the point of just asking the right questions, having a desire to know God, he'll do the rest. Since that time, I've been able to study this passage a little more. And the thing that drew me to this, yes, it was the power of his resurrection coming off of Easter. But it's the way that Paul flips things. He lists the resurrection before he lists the crucifixion. But Jesus was crucified before he was raised. But Paul is saying something in this passage that in order to know the power of His resurrection, we also have to be willing to know the fellowship of His sufferings. That word fellowship means a participation in. It's not just a bystander that you look at the sufferings of Jesus, but it's that you become somebody through koinonia fellowship, understand to a deeper level what it means to suffer as He suffered. Once you get to that point and you say, I'm willing to know the sufferings, that's when you tap into the resurrection power. Because there was a crucifixion for Jesus before there was resurrection. Same is true in your life. Before you will know the resurrection power, you must know the fellowship of his sufferings. And Paul goes from, I want to know him, I want to know the power of his resurrection, I want to know about the fellowship of his sufferings, to being, from knowing to being. Being conformed to his death. Again, KJV, I believe, says being made conformable to his death. In the Greek, that's one word. It's one word, and it simply means this, that you take on the same form as another person. You're shaped and you're molded into the image of Christ. And the image of Christ that Paul is talking about here is the image of the cross. Are you and I willing to be shaped and molded through fellowship in the sufferings of Jesus into that image of the cross so that we might know the power of his resurrection? Because if you know his sufferings and you know the power of his resurrection, you will know him. That's his desire. That is my desire. And I will say this. I want to go this far to say you're not going to truly and fully experience the power of Christ Jesus' resurrection apart from fellowship in his sufferings. It's that clear from the text. And so as we share and we're conformed, again, I'm not simply telling you to learn more about His cross. Yes and amen. You need to study. You need to meditate. You need to think upon the cross of Jesus where salvation was accomplished. But I'm saying let's go a little bit further. And when Jesus said, not only my cross, you have to take a cross. That's what I'm calling you to today because I think the Apostle Paul is making a connection here between the cross of Jesus, but also the disciples' cross. That if we want to know him, we have to be willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. That's my introduction. That's where I'm going. I don't want to do a bait and switch. I want you to know exactly where we're going. But I think something that's going to be really helpful is if we talk a little bit about the context of this passage. As a Bible student, as a Christian, especially as a preacher or teacher, one of the most important things you can do when you're studying Scripture is study Scripture in context. Now, I have the title here of pastor of discipleship, whatever that means, but what it means for me is to teach you how to study the Word how to primarily study the Word and how to do it right. It's not enough, and I'm going to say this, it's not enough for you just to read the Bible. You have to read the Bible right. The Pharisees read the Bible, and Jesus said, You're sons of the devil you got to be careful with thinking, just because I read Scripture, I'm good. You need to pray for the understanding of the Holy Spirit. You need to listen to preachers and teachers that will break it down for you and help you understand all of those things. But you need to learn to read Scripture right. I can take a passage out of Scripture, and I can pull it out of its context, and I can make it say whatever I want. That's why you have cults. That's why you have people that will deny Jesus but want to say it's from the Bible. It's not possible. So if you will discipline yourself to know Scripture and study it in context, it's going to help you. The book of Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul. That's clear. Nobody really debates that. But here's the things that I'm going to share with you that I think are going to help you understand the power that is in verse 10. The Apostle Paul wrote this book sometime around A.D. 62. He's been following Jesus now for nearly 30 years. 30 years as an apostle of Jesus Christ. If you remember, he had the Damascus Road experience where he saw the resurrected Christ and the glory of Jesus was so powerful that it knocked him off of his horse and blinded him. He stayed in that condition for three days until God sent a man named Ananias to pray for Paul. Something like scales fell off of his eyes. He was baptized. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. The the scriptures say he immediately went out and began to preach and people were astonished. They said, "Is is this not the one that used to persecute faith and now he's preaching the gospel so boldly paul went from a persecutor of the church a persecutor of christ to persecuted for christ because he saw the resurrected jesus if there was one person in history that i would think would say i know the power of his resurrection i would think it would be the apostle paul But 30 years after serving Jesus, having miracles wrought through his hands, preaching the gospel to people that he probably imprisoned and killed their family members, and seeing them come to faith through his testimony and God working through him, establishing churches as a missionary, doing all of these things, having Jesus give him revelation in the desert, all of that, 30 years later he says, I want to know him. He's not satisfied. As much as he knows Jesus and has experienced his power, he still has a desire within him to know him more. That shows you the significance of verse 10. And I love the book of Philippians. Many people call it the book of joy. Paul writes to the Philippian church. He doesn't have reproof and rebuke on these things. He's just full of joy. And in every chapter, he's talking about joy and talking about joy. How can he do that? Because he knows and understands to some level that this life is temporary, but glory is to come. He says in chapter one to live is Christ, to die is gain. What do you do with that guy? Hey, be quiet. Quit talking about Jesus. I'm just going to preach more because i got to listen to God and not man. Okay, well, we're going to beat you with rods. That's fine. I just want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Well, we're going to kill you. That's fine. To live as Christ. To die as gain. What do you do with that guy? He knows Jesus so fully, but yet he's still not satisfied. And he gets to this point in verses 2 through 6 of chapter 3. He lists his past life. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews born of the tribe of Benjamin. That's prestige right there. You came from the tribe of Benjamin. You were circumcised on the eighth day. He's a Pharisee. We don't really understand the sacrifice, the time, the the learning, the studying, all that it took for you to achieve that level. He did all of those things. Uh, Concerning zeal, he persecuted the church. He wasn't just a Pharisee that thought, I don't know if that's right. He went to the point of saying, that's against God, and I'm so zealous that I will persecute the church. And so false teachers that had crept into the church of Philippian, or Philippi, and they said, you know what? You need to know Jesus, that's fine, but now you need to be circumcised, and you need to obey the Mosaic law. Paul said, No. If anybody knows the law and understands the law, it's me. But through a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, I recognize that now physical circumcision is not what God is about. It's about spiritual circumcision of your heart by the Spirit. That's the people that are truly children of God. And then he takes all of that prestige and all of that power and all of the things that he used to have and the status that he used to have and he says, it's dumb. It is rubbish. It is rubbish. Compared to knowing him. That should shock you. That should make you think for just a second. Maybe I just need to sit here and think about what he's really saying. Instead of blowing through this and getting my Bible reading done. Maybe I need to stop and say, there's something deeper here. Paul has in verse 13, I want to read this. Y'all don't have to put it on the screen. Paul says, Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, to have apprehended one thing I do: forgetting those things which are behind and, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Paul has this understanding of the past reality, whether it's marked with pride because you saw yourself as a moral person, a religious person, but you didn't truly know Jesus. Maybe it is somebody that was bound in sin and iniquity and under the power of Satan and you were a blasphemer of God. It does not matter if you've been redeemed. Your past is your past. Leave it in the past. Let it go. If God has said you are redeemed, then God has spoken. And when God speaks, he does not go back on his word. So if you will not let go of that past, then you are going to struggle to reach forward to what is ahead. But in verse 10, Paul is not in the past and he's not in the future. Verse 10 is right in the present. That's my past. I've let it go. That's my future I'm reaching toward. Verse 10, this is my present reality. I want to know him. One all-consuming desire. Not just to have evidence about Jesus. Thank God for the Scriptures. Thank God that we can look at a mictum of David and we can see that by the power of the Spirit, hundreds of years, even thousands of years before Jesus came, the Scriptures testify of His coming. And thank God you could point those things out. I even thank God for people that go to the extent of of doing excavation work and archaeological work and all of these things to defend the resurrection. I think that's great. But what Paul wants here is not what we typically call head knowledge, he wants heart. He wants an experience of Jesus, the living, resurrected Christ in and through him. That's what he desires. Now, when I taught this in the guys' class, we struggle with this. I'm more analytical. I'm more logical. I want to put things together. I want to do this. When you ask me to feel, I get awkward. Like, what are we talking Feelings. What are feelings? What is that? Praise God there were other men in there that felt the same way. Ladies, we talked about you for a second, and sometimes y'all feel so much we don't even know what's going on. <laughs> okay? That's enough of that. Step out of that, preacher, before you get in trouble. But Paul is is in one sense, and I gotta be careful with this word. But it's it's mystical. This is supernatural. Like Peter says, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. And Paul's saying, though I can't see him right now, I, I want to know him. I can still have a relationship with him. How is that? I'm gonna say it's by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ the Holy Spirit is so joined and connected to Jesus that when the Spirit of God is within you the Spirit of Christ is within you his life is poured into your soul that's what Paul wants he's got all of the evidence but he still longs for more of the experience and that's what I want for you today And that is where the cross comes in. Because we've already seen it. Paul says you want to have this knowledge, you got to be able to fellowship with his sufferings. You need to be conformed to his death in order that you might gain this deeper knowledge. And I really believe that he's pulling from the teachings of Jesus. And so Mark chapter 8, let's look at the teachings of Jesus for those who would desire to be disciples of Christ. Christ and make a connection between what Paul's talking about here. I'm going to give you three points to end this that tie these things together. Mark chapter 8. Beginning in verse 29. Jesus has taken the disciples to Caesarea Philippi. This is a place of pagan idolatry and worship of false gods. And Jesus, I think, strategically takes his disciples to this place where all of this false religion and false worship is all around them. And he stands right in this place and he asks this question. Who do you say that I am? Same question is true for you today. In the midst of a fallen world, in a sinful society... Who do you say that Jesus is? Peter answers and he says, You are the Christ. Some, uh, The Matthew and Mark versions say, The Son of the living God. Peter gets it right. He gets it right. But his understanding of what it means for Jesus to be the Christ is still limited. Okay? It's still limited. Jesus says in verse 30, He strictly warned them that they should tell no one about Him. You would think He would want them to shout it from the rooftops. But because he knew their understanding was not correct, and he was about to do a little bit of course correction with them, verse 31, immediately after Peter makes this declaration, this confession of Jesus as the Christ, it says that he, Jesus, began to teach them, the Son of Man must suffer many things be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed after three days he would rise again. Verse 32, he spoke this word openly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. From Christ to rebuking Jesus. We all know the story of Peter, but just think about it. In his mind, he says, you're the Christ. But his understanding of what it means for Jesus to be the Christ is not Jesus' understanding of what it means to be the Christ. Jesus uses a particular title for himself, if you caught it, in verse 31. Son of man. I believe that's primarily taken from Daniel chapter 7, where you see one who is described as the son of man coming on the clouds with glory given a kingdom and authority and power and dominion. I think that was in the mind of Peter when he said, you're the Christ, you're going to be the one that comes with power and glory and sets us free. Yes, that's true, but before the glory, there's going to be suffering. And so Jesus goes on and says this in verse 33, when he, Jesus, turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan. Satan. I mean, you were at the height of the mountain, now you're at the bottom of the valley. You're the Christ, now you're you're Satan. What is happening here? For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, I, I do believe he's particularly calling him Satan, because I think that Satan is in this work of trying to derail Jesus from the cross in any way that he can. But the name Satan means adversary, one who is opposed, one who is against, and the moment that Jesus begins to talk about suffering and death, Peter is against that, because all he has in his mind is glory and power, but the way to the glory, the way to the power for Christ and for his followers is the path of suffering through the cross. Verse 34, when he called the people to himself, his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Verse 35, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Verse 36, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And loses his own soul. Verse 37 What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Listen, there is a price for your soul. And you could have every bit of money in this world, the highest position of power, the most knowledge, understanding, on and on and on and on and on. But when you meet death, because it will come to you unless he returns first, your soul will still be trapped in its sin. Because none of that compares to the value of the blood of Jesus. You have to follow him. And so he says, you want to save your life, then you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life, you're going to save it. This is crazy talk from a worldly standpoint. But this is the paradox of Christianity. You want to live, then die. Because through dying, the life of Christ flows through you. You want to save your life, then lose it. But lose it for His sake and for the Gospels. Don't just lose it for anything and everything. It's primarily for His sake and for the Gospels' sake. Verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him, there's this title again, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. He is the Son of Man. And He will return in glory and power Peter's understanding, though, of Son of Man was incomplete because the Son of Man must first suffer before He receives the glory. The same is true for us. That is what Paul wants us to know. I want you to know Him and the power of His resurrection. I want you to have a life marked by the Spirit of God. Romans 1-4 says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power by the Spirit of holiness through the resurrection. So I believe when he's saying the power of his resurrection, he's talking about a life filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you want that life, you have to be willing to deny yourself. That's the negative part. You have to first deny yourself. If you have a desire to follow Jesus, the first thing you must do is deny self. The sinful nature that desires the things of this world, you have to first deny that. Then you take the positive. Take up your cross. Not just His cross. Your cross. Then you can follow Him. That's the life of discipleship. That's the life that Paul wants for us. So three points when we talk about the cross, because the cross represents death and shame. When he said this word to some Jewish men, Who had walked through and seen their brothers put upon a Roman cross. Meaning to torture them, but also meaning to be utter shame and disgrace. Can you imagine the shock and awe when Jesus said, I'm going to have a cross, you get one too. If we preach Jesus in such a way that it's come to Jesus to get health and wealth and this and this and this, which I'm for... But if we do it apart from calling people to the cross, we're not preaching the true message of Jesus. If I can't stand on this pulpit, preach this message to you, but also take this same message and preach it to people that right now are under governments and leaders that are anti-God and want to kill them, then it's not a true message. It's got to be able to resonate with people in America as well as people in Iraq, Sudan, anywhere that they are being persecuted for their faith. Are you willing to know him? And if you are, and if you desire to know him, he's immediately going to tell you, take up your cross, then you can follow me. Three points for the cross it's crucifixion, it's putting things to death. Point number one you got to crucify your flesh. The first two I'm going to share with you, I think, yes, absolutely. The third one I think might be a little bit different for you, but, but it's not a stretch. But the first one is you got to crucify your flesh. Your, your old sinful nature that though you are born again by the power of the Spirit, it didn't get the message. It still hangs around, and through the temptations of the world, it wants and it desires and it lusts against the Spirit that's on the inside of you. Galatians 5, Paul says, The flesh lusts against the Spirit. But the Spirit lusts against the flesh. It's a battle. So I have a word of encouragement for you because I find people in this place of fighting against the flesh and seeking to live by the Spirit and they're discouraged. Brother, sister, that's a good sign that there's life on the inside of you. The problem is if you're allowing the flesh to win. But if you will take, and every morning when you wake up, if you will pray and you will focus your mind upon Jesus and you will say, today I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross. Self, flesh, you have no power. Just like you hang up a coat if you have to do it, you say, you are on the cross, you are dead to me and I am alive to God. And His power and His Spirit will flow in and through me. But if you don't crucify the flesh, you're going to fight and you're going to struggle and you're always going to be downcast and you're always going to Be in a place of wanting more and seeking more, but the flesh is wanting the things that you don't want. And Paul gets in this situation where I don't know, I do the things I don't want to do, and the things I want to do, I can't do. But if you will crucify your flesh, then the Spirit of God will flow through you and to others. Point one, crucify your flesh so you can know the power of His resurrection. Point two, crucify your desires. And your will, the moment you got saved, it's no longer about you. This is not the Jace Holmes show. I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And where my will is against his will, it needs to die. Not coddled, not disciplined, death. It is anti-God. Anti-His plans, anti-His purposes. Therefore, I need to crucify it. The greatest example that we have in Scripture of this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know the prayer, if there's any other way. And I'm so thankful this is included in the Bible because we see the humanity of Jesus. That though He's fully God, He's also fully man. And He's wrestling with the truth of the cross because He knows the pain He knows the shame, but he also understands that he is going to be the one that is going to bear the sins of the world. The eternal Son of God took upon flesh. That's a pretty good step down in and of itself. But then to go to the point of death on a cross, we can't even fathom. And so he's wrestling, and he's praying, and he's sweating drops of blood, and what does he say? Not my will but your will be done. He had to crucify His will. All of salvation hung in the balance right there in that garden. But the moment that His will was subjected to the will of God, then salvation was, in a sense, accomplished. Yes, He had to go to the cross, but He determined right there that the will of the Father would be His will and that He would accept the cross. You have to do the same. If your will or your desire is against what God wills or God desires, it has to die. The thing that I love about this, Jesus knew the will of the Father. Many times when we pray that, we're oblivious. And so we kind of just throw it up. And, I, and I'm not trying to be harsh here. I just want you to see where I'm going with this. Uh, not, I don't know God's will. Not my will, but your will be done. And we have no clue what that is. Jesus perfectly knew the will. He wasn't oblivious to it. He knew that it was the cross. His struggle wasn't, I don't know it, help me figure it out. It was, I know it, but something in me is not wanting it. And so when I preach to you this morning and I say, you have to take up your cross, your flesh is trying to push back. It is trying to revolt. It does not want to be put to death. You know the will of God for your life is to take up a cross. You have to crucify your will where it pushes against what God wants for you. And you have to say, not my will, but your will, even if it's a cross. Even if it's suffering. Even if it's shame. Even if it's ridicule. Whatever it is. If it's your will, then I accept it. Number three. This came out of a conversation me and Jojo had, so that should scare you you got to crucify your time. And I realize that when I say that, there are people on both ends of the spectrum and some in the middle. Crucify your time. There are people under the sound of my voice that are saying, Brother, I don't have time to do anything. We're here, we're here, we're here, we're here, we're here, we're running, we're going, we're going. Well, guess what? Crucify your time. That may very well mean for you or for your family, some things do have to go if they are not truly the things of God, if they are not truly helping you and your family to grow as followers of Jesus, then yes, they may have to go. But hold on just a minute. Maybe it's also the fact that you need to understand that through those things, God may very well use you if you will crucify that time and see it as an opportunity to be used by God. So maybe you don't have to give them up, but your perspective needs to change. That it's not just about little Johnny or this or that or that. It's about Jesus. And through this, we're going to use it as a means to share the gospel with others. I'm going to use it. When I see my son playing baseball, listen, I didn't know I had these things inside of me that come out. And so if you see them, I may start wearing a hat because they're like, who is he preached? That guy preaches? But there's something in me that just, God, I just love it. I want to see him win. I pray, God, help us to win. I'm thankful for the other team. Keep them safe. But I want to win, Lord. I want to win. But if I get so caught up in those things that the guy that's standing beside me wants to talk and he's struggling with sin, But I'm so focused on this that I don't have time for him or I don't have time for Jesus. That's got to be crucified. That's got to be put to death. Because when you say, Lord, my time is not my time, it's your time. You wake up different. You walk different. You talk different. You think different. The first thing we find in Scripture, really, that God sanctified was time. We always think about sanctify me or maybe sanctify a, a place. One of the first things God sanctified was time. He gave the Sabbath. This time is different than all other time. This is, this is holy time. You've got to get that in your life. Maybe it is a Sabbath for you. Don't get so fixed on the days. I don't know what your schedule looks like, but the principle of the Sabbath is wonderful. When you take time or a day, and you focus on God and the good things that He's given you, and you share a meal with your family, that's some holy time right there. It may not be the best thing for you to schedule another Bible study. Maybe it's time to sit at the table with your family. Crucify your time. But if you're on the other end of the spectrum, and you've got all the time in the world, I still say the same thing to you crucify your time. If loneliness and fear are creeping in because you have so much time and you're so alone, crucify your time because there's one that walks closer than a brother. There's one that always wants to speak with you. There's one that will fellowship with you and restore the joy that has been taken from you. Crucify your time. The greatest example of somebody crucifying their time is Jesus again when he's on the cross and his hands and his feet are nailed and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. I don't know it, but I believe that he knew that entire psalm and he more than likely repeated the entire psalm and at the end of that psalm, It goes from, God, I don't know where you are. I feel forsaken. I feel like you've left me because of my situation, because of my circumstance. The end of the psalm says, the Lord will not turn his face from his servant. And he will restore him, and he will redeem him. And then it says, I will praise you because of this deliverance. So if all you understand of Jesus on the cross is he was forsaken, I challenge you to read Psalm 22, and you will see that in the moment when his time was being pressed, and he was about to die, and he was in pain and agony, he sang a psalm of victory. He crucified his time, and even in the difficulty, found a way to worship God. That's what you've got to do. Redeem those moments with worship. Praise God. When you don't feel like it, praise God. Fill your home, fill your car, fill your life with Scripture and with worship. It will change you because the resurrection power of Jesus will begin to flow through you. He also prayed while he was on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I read an author that said, the hands that used to administer healing could no longer be stretched forth because they were nailed to the cross. The feet that used to take him on errands of mercy could no longer take him because they were nailed to the cross. But his mouth was still able to speak, and he used that mouth, and he used that time to intercede for those that were killing him. Listen to me, senior saint. Listen to me, suffering saint. You still can serve the Lord. You can still serve the Lord this church. If maybe you used to be able to go here and go there and do this and do that, but because of age or because of physical inability, because of mental inability, whatever it may be, you still have a purpose and you can still experience the power of His resurrection because you can crucify your time and you can pray and you can intercede and you know and you know and you know that you are joining with the one who is in right now in heaven and that is what it means to experience the resurrection power of Jesus if your hands are pinned and your feet are pinned and you can't do what you used to do and the enemy says you are going to be captivated by fear and you can't do so now the Lord no, 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 no you shut him up with praise and you shut him up with prayer and the power of Jesus will flow in and through you again amen Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to close. Philippians chapter 2. I love Jesus for so many things, but I love Jesus because not only does He call us to do things, but He first did these things. And so Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Paul says this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men now let stop right there I kind of hinted at this earlier let's let's try to think about this as much as we can before he took upon flesh and was given the name Jesus he was the eternal son of God Scripture would say, in the bosom of the Father. I can't give you the outworkings and inworkings of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but I see it in Scripture and I know it to be true. So before He was Jesus incarnate, He was the eternal Son of God, in perfect glory and communion with the Father and the Spirit. He prays for that again in John chapter 17. Lord, restore the glory to me that we had before the world began. But because of the plan of redemption, Because of the sinfulness of man and God's desire to save us, even when we were in our sins, he died for us. He came and took upon flesh. Again, that step down, we can't even fathom. To take upon flesh, not born in a king's house, born in a lowly manger. You see it from the beginning of his life. But he was born to die. He knew that He was coming, not just to take upon flesh and teach some good things. He came to teach, but He came to die. Because apart from death, there would be no salvation. And the death that was destined for Him was not like a warrior on a battlefield that everybody would talk so highly of. It was the death of the cross. And so it goes on to say this. Verse 8, "...being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself." And became obedient to the point of death. That in and of itself is enough. But it was even the death of the cross. There was a humbling of himself. If Christ is able to humble himself to the point of death and death on a cross, who are we to reject the cross that he says we are to take? Verse 9, therefore God has also highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth. Verse 11, that every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There's that glory again, but how did he receive that glory? By the way of the cross. He received resurrection because he first received crucifixion brother sister the same is true for you in order to experience resurrection power you have to deny yourself take up your cross live a life of death to self so that the life of god will flow freely in you and through you and paul says this Uh, I'm saying Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, so that's my point of view. But he said that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame... And is now sitting down at the right hand of God. He knew the cross was there. He endured the cross. But there was a joy on the other side. And that is the joy of the Christian life. You have to understand that your situation and circumstance now is temporary. But there is an eternal joy that is to come. Part of the reason we don't worship like we should is because we get so fixated on the here and now. But when you realize I'm a dead man walking and this life is not the end, and this is not my ultimate hope, but there is a glory to be revealed, then I can walk through situations of suffering, pain, persecution, ridicule, whatever it be, but I can have a joy deep down inside of me that's indescribable and full of glory because I know that which is to come. But like Paul, I'm not just looking for the future. I want to know Him now. I want to experience Him now. Now, Galatians 2.20, I believe we have this one. Stand to your feet with me. This is what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, Paul, were you hanging on the cross? No. But he's talking about a dimension and spiritually connecting with Jesus. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ which lives in me. This is my sermon in one verse. You're crucified with Christ. It's no longer you that live. If you are a disciple, if you are a Christian, it's not your life, it's his life through you. And let me say this, because that can sound kind of, but you're not going to really know who you are apart from him. So don't get this idea that I'm saying that God doesn't care about you. He created you to be you, but the personality that you have and the desires that you have and all these things, to really know them, to really experience them, you got to know him, and he will make you the truest form of yourself. So when I tell you to die to self, I'm not telling you to hang your head and have a morbid life. I'm telling you, if you'll die to self, you're going to have more joy than you ever thought possible. Why? Because his life's going to flow through you. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray that this won't just be a message and it won't just be a challenge, but it'll be a reality. I have wrestled with this. Do not think, and I don't think you do, but I'm just saying this to make sure, don't think that the preachers that stand here have this perfectly figured out either. Crucify my time? I'm pretty selfish. I'm introverted. I like to be alone. I like to read. But I got three boys that need that. Okay? I have a wife that is quiet and typically will say, Everything's good. Well guess what guys? It means not everything's good. <laughs> so you can't just leave at that moment. There's so many ways that this plays out. Some are really big and dramatic. I don't know if the Lord's calling you to missions work. I don't know if the Lord is calling you to maybe something in and through this church that's going to require more time. Absolutely. If you are sensing that, do not recoil at it. Do not reject it. Philippians 3, 18 and 19, Paul says, Now I tell you, with tears and weeping about these people that are now enemies of the cross, I want you to be a friend of the cross, not an enemy. Those people that he said were enemies, it says that they gave themselves over to worldly lust and passions. The cross eliminates those things. Do not be an enemy of the cross. When everything in you pushes back against the cross, you by faith cry out to the one who endured the cross, and he'll give you the strength to take your cross. And so whatever it looks like in your life, I can't tell you all the things. I've given you the principles. Now you've got to apply them. But the moment you begin to ask the right questions, the moment you begin to have the right desires, God will answer the question and God will fulfill your desires. So I want to pray for you today that you will take this truth of Scripture and apply it to your life. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you again. Lord, for the truth of your word, that even when we come to things that are difficult, that maybe our flesh wants to push back against these things, I thank you that we have the example of Jesus and how he humbled himself taking upon flesh, taking upon the form of a servant and being willing to die even the death of the cross because that was the will of God for his life. In order that salvation might come to the world. And the same thing... Is true for us. It may not be salvation for the world, but the salvation message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to go in us and through us to a lost and dying world. But if we are not willing to deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow you, we will not personally experience the power of the resurrection of Jesus and neither will the ones who need it. So I pray over this church family God for those that are in the valley of uh, humiliation and struggling and suffering that the example of Jesus on the cross through singing psalms of hymn and worship and prayer will be an encouragement to them to remember that God is not done with you. For those that are running here and there and everywhere, help us to crucify our time and to be more open to the work of the Spirit in every area, in every place, in every avenue, in every event in our life. What we want today and every day is to know Jesus. So Lord, give us the grace to know Jesus in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. Bless this church family, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name and give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. God is good. God is good. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Listen, as it's